Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Brittany, with Free Lady. We are on episode 34, y'all. It's climbing up the ladder. It's really, really fun and exciting to keep sharing these wonderful stories with you. And I hope we are changing your life or changing your friend's life or your family member's life or anybody in your life, your partner's life. So we are absolutely here for you. I'm really excited to have Jason on here. Um, he's the owner of Sober Gangster. I just met him, you guys, like last week. He, he just started, he just came to my coaching group and his story was so compelling. I was like, oh, hey, hi, come on we my channel. We made it happen. Yeah. We made it happen. Yeah. So this is Jason Williams, you guys. You know, like I said, he owns a sober gangster and this is about sobriety and telling his story. But of course, we're going, we are going to start off with three things that we are grateful for. Um, you know, I have to say I'm really grateful for heated seats. It was eight degrees today. And I'm like, but then I was like, I wish I had a heated steering wheel. I'm like, first of all, <laughs> but, but still like, I'm, I'm just glad I can get warmer a little faster in my car. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for the, to have the ability to grow. And I mean, by I get to choose things and I get to, I get to do things, things to grow. And thirdly, I am always, always so grateful for this family. I'm very grateful for my Den family, which is my coaching group, because I get to meet people like Jason. And uh, Jason, what are you grateful for today? You can do one or three things. Yeah, I love it. Um, I like that you said your heated seat. It was negative 12 in Sun Valley, Idaho today. Ooh. I'm grateful that I actually wasn't there. I'm in Boise, Idaho today, where it was like eight. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. I got, I got my fireplace going, um, trying to stay warm in here. Yeah. Um, but no, like I'm, I'm always grateful for my sobriety. Uh, I, I'm here talking about sobriety, the life I have, like I would be burnt to the ground if I didn't have it. So, uh, you know, number one is, you know, my sobriety, obviously my family uh, and the support system I have with my family and my kids and everybody's just healthy and happy. And it hasn't always been that way. And yeah. uh, I'm, ex- I'm grateful for uh, taking, taking a jump and going all in and, 
committing to uh, this new journey through the the DIN program and jumping in and finally committing to it and going for it and trying to get out there a little more. So, and yeah. opportunities like this. So thanks for having me join your podcast yeah. and video. So podcast, what do we call it when it's live on a video podcast? I mean, I, these go on YouTube, so yeah. all these are on YouTube, YouTube and eventually these, these will be fabricated into a podcast. I just haven't done it yet. It kind of scares me, you guys. It's like a lot of technology. And you know, I like, to, I talk about this all the time. My channel, how technology and I are real good friends. <laughs> yep. So, but I really would like that to happen for uh, my listeners. Um, but yeah, like we were just talking before we started this recording, you guys, is that going all in, I want to speak about that real quick. Um, so he just joined the den, the lion's den with Sean Whalen's our coaching group. And he was saying that it took him a long time to like jump in the game. And I, re I told him that before I joined, it had been a year of me saying, I'm going to do it. I would even fill, put in my name. I would put in like, <laughs> my credit card number. And then I'd be like, nope. Yep. Exactly. Get scared. And like, because I've never invested in myself. Yeah. Right. I'm like, yeah. I've never invested in me before as, as much as I've done, I've done education with hair and stuff and invested in others, but like, not like this. And it has changed my life in every step of my body, my mind, my business and my relationships. And so it's really interesting when you go all in and you realize what else can I do to go all in? I love that you said that, that I've loved that you said that you've like had no problem investing in like your hair and hairstyling and learning that trade. And, um, you know, I've done that over the years. I've invested in like real estate courses and certifications. And I've learned that I'm really good at investing in what I do. Yeah. Not who I am. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the, one of the things we're doing right now is this who I am and what do I do? I can invest in like what I do all day long and justify it. But when it came to investing in who I am and what does that encompass, uh, it was hard. It was scary. It was hard. It was, I yeah. did the same thing. I probably filled out that application to sign up whenever the den would open. Yeah. I think I've done it three times and put my credit card in to click <laughs> and then said, well, let's just wait a minute. Yeah. Just... And then year, year and a half went by and never joined, never jumped on. Yeah. I mean, I literally had nightmares constantly <laughs> and I feel, cause I really believe that God speaks through Sean and I think God speaks through a lot of people. Right. But it was literally like God being like, come on, let's yep. get on board. Let's do this. I wouldn't be in this channel today. I wouldn't have met my partner who I have today. Um, you know, I wouldn't have had excelled in other things in my life if it wasn't for this den. And now it's really great. I'm going to tell the audience, you guys, is that we both can give you a link that you can join anytime because he opens it like twice a year. But now you can go through us, get our link and sign up anytime. Well, that's great. I didn't anytime. realize it was anytime. I just thought it was what was open. That's awesome. Yeah anytime. So That's it's good. really, really cool. So again, you guys, uh, Jason has been sober for 26 years, correct? Correct. Yep. Fair. Amazing. I found these. That's amazing. Okay. Wow. And I was digging, cleaning my garage and I was like, Oh, and I stacked them up and I'm like, that's, 
each year, each each coin symbolizes a year, and I've yeah. saved them. And it's twenty six years. That's pretty cool. I pulled them out right before I grabbed jumped on here and been playing with them while we were talking. Hey, I mean that's kind of cool, right? The symbol yeah. symbolism of that. So, Jason, like, tell us your story. I don't know where you want to begin, but you can begin anywhere. Of like, you know, maybe how you got into start drinking, like, and why you why you why you started drinking, um, the issues that you had you know, everything that goes with that. And then how you became a free man. Yeah. I, I usually, when I tell my story, I always start at the beginning and yeah. you know, I had I've been, been raised in Boise, Idaho, um, in Idaho, born and bred. And, you know, it was a great life. I, I don't come from a bunch of trauma in my life. Um, I have no trauma as far as like what you would think of when it comes to trauma. Mm-hmm. My parents are still, still married. Actually, this is their 50th anniversary this year. Um, they've raised me right. They, you know, it was a good household. Uh, my dad, if he has a beer falls asleep an hour later, so he's not a, you know, they're not drinkers in my household. Um, it wasn't this toxic environment with physical abuse or verbal abuse. It was just a really loving, caring home. And, you know, I, I think the only trauma I experienced growing up was, you know, I was bullied a lot in elementary school, bullied a lot in junior high school. I was a scrawny, nerdy <laughs> kid with weird teeth and super skinny. And my hair was like huge. It was like, it didn't lay down like this. It just went like this. And so oh, okay. I, I had a lot of, you know, bullying growing up in elementary school and junior high. And what that equated to for me, you know, through the years looking back, I just really wanted to be a part of, right? I wanted to be accepted. Yeah. I wanted um, to be part of the cool crowd. I wanted to be liked. Um, and that's still, you know, an area that I get to struggle with even today as a grown 45-year-old man, um, comparing my insides to everybody's outsides. And, you know, social media gets to really make, make a big impact on that, where I get to just scroll through people and see what their outsides look like. Right. And, then I compare it to how I feel on the inside. And, um, you know, that desire to want to be part of a community or be liked or be a part of, you know, is still the driving factor in my life that I have to make sure I check and work on and what are my motives. And so, right. you know, that was part of my growing up was just some pretty heavy bullying. I remember times at, you know, 10 years old where those thoughts of suicide crept in and, wow. Yeah. And that was, you know, back when suicide wasn't like as visual as it is now, like it's so prevalent now that I can see where a 10 year old knows so much more about it. But back then um, it just wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. And, and I didn't have a solution for the way I was feeling. I didn't have a solution for that. Like emptiness I felt all the time and uh, being disconnected from, um, my dad had a cool job opportunity to go run a gold mine in Las Vegas. And I remember it was the summer of my eighth grade year. And in Boise, Idaho, school is like seventh grade through ninth grade, right? Okay. So it was the summer of eighth grade. So I was getting ready to go into ninth grade. I was finally going to be a freshman. <laughs> uh, which is, it, freshman in junior high, like you're finally at the top grade level. Yeah. So I was excited to be a freshman. And, um, 
finally be at the top of the chain, even though I was still getting bullied and still going through that and still didn't have a lot of friends. Had never experienced drugs or alcohol at that point in my life. Um, and with this job opportunity, we sat down as a family and me and my dad and brother and mom. And, you know, it's like, do we want to go on this grand adventure? Let's go try something new. And we decided to go. He took the job in Las Vegas. And so we moved to Las Vegas that, st that summer instead. The difference in Vegas, ninth grade, you start in high school. Yes. So instead of jumping to the, like the top of the food chain, I was now back at the bottom of the food chain. Mm -hmm. And that summer, um, we had to stay in like an apartment complex that was a little sketchier while our nice suburban house was getting built. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I came from a middle-class family. And so yeah. we lived in a nice house. And But when we were living in the apartment complex, I got to meet some people that Vegas is a lot more diverse than Boise, Idaho was, you know, oh, 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And we're still not very diverse in Boise, Idaho. And um, Las Vegas, I got introduced to like new cultures, new people. And I remember sitting in a hot tub in eighth grade, some of that summer, where a couple gangbangers that lived in the apart apartment complex just got a kick out of like this Idaho boy, nerdy. And they gave me some of their like red cup drink. And it, I'm sure it was some sort of jungle juice or something because it tasted good. Yeah. And, you know, I got like my first sip of alcohol. I didn't get drunk. I didn't yeah. like go crazy, um, but I got a sip. But what I got a real taste of was being a part of, right? Like uh, I right. instantly, like they kind of took me under their wing and they were cool with me. I had a couple other friends that I met in that apartment complex that I am still lifelong friends with. Um, they're still some of my best friends to this day after 30 years. And they were with me through the worst times of my life, Aww. as well as the best times of my life. Um, but these couple guys, like it, I started to have a community that I, and, and friends that were cool, that was different from what I had in growing up where before I was just getting bullied. So it was that first kind of fix of like filling that void inside. Um, even though it didn't come from the alcohol in that moment, it came from that acceptance. Right. right. But alcohol. So, so in your mind, yep. like yep. your mind was like, oh, it was alcohol and this, like yep. it didn't know how to separate it because we're young and dumb and we love the yeah. jungle juice in the yeah. juice, especially. Yep. And I, and I was always one to like to act out. I was always on my report cards, you know, the class clown or says stupid things in class or whatever. And so I, I, you know, I wanted to continue to be a part of, and I learned that like, if I'm doing crazy things or if I'm acting out, like I get a reaction through that. And so I remember, you know, one time my dad caught me, um, that summer I was up on the like three-story roof of the clubhouse and jumped off the roof into the pool sober, but I was showing off for like the new friends and trying to get a rise out of them. And, you know, I got grounded for like three weeks and um but I learned like that the things that start to like create reactions from people and and so mm -hmm. I went into the my freshman year at high school um in Las Vegas it was a Green Valley High and again it was a, just a different experience and going from a school that was you know my junior high school maybe had 500 people in it to the high school in Las Vegas had metal detectors and Wow. you know, barbed wire fences and probably 3000 students. Um, and a lot of them were 
locals that lived in the little suburbia area where we all live, but then there was a lot of people that were bused in from other communities that weren't suburbia. And so there's, again, that, um, you know, that gang aspect of the school and then the sport, you know, there was a very diverse community there that I got inter introduced to really fast and was kind of, again, just very naive to what everything was coming from where I was raised at. Makes sense. Um, but I, again, I had my group of friends that I had made in that apartment complex and they took me under their wing and we started to make more friends and, um, and then alcohol was quickly introduced into my life for real. Um, you know, I would say probably within the first month of school, I had my first real drunk and I, I still remember the first time I got drunk and it was with purple passion. And if you don't know what purple passion is, it's grape juice in a two liter bottle with Everclear that you could buy at the store, like in Vegas. It was just Everclear and grape juice. And <laughs> I remember I stole it because all the grocery stores, you just put the liquors out in public. And so I, I stole us some grapefruit or some uh, purple passion. And again, I got a reaction by doing that. Like, oh, you're the man, yeah. good job. Like yeah. you, you get and we went to the park behind my house and there was the, the gals I met in that apartment complex, their boyfriends, it's probably like five of us. Yeah. And all I remember from that night is I got belligerent drunk. Um, I fell down one of those like uh, flash flood drainage ditches they have in Las Vegas where it's just rocks. Yeah. I was bloodied. I was dirty. I definitely puked a few times. Oh, man. Um, this is important as I got caught the first time. I got in trouble. I got grounded. Because um, one part of my story is I always got caught. Like, because yeah. I just didn't have an off switch. And so I just always took it to such an extreme that I would always, like, I was always the one to get caught. Everybody would else end up, they would end up going home and I would end up in handcuffs or I would end up in, you know, the parent's car or the principal or whatever. And what I remember from that first drunk was, even though I puked, even though I fell down the side of a hill, like I felt so, like we talked about being free. Like I felt free. I finally felt free from like the insecurities. I felt free from the, the fear. I felt like I could be myself. I could be um, outgoing and witty and funny. And yeah. um, I felt connected. I felt strong. Like I felt like I could protect myself. Like the things that the fear that I lived in up until that point uh, went away instantaneously. It makes uh, sense though. It makes total sense when you're growing up being bullied, you might've had like an amazing upbringing, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like, were you able to talk to your parents about all this stuff? Were they able to give you advice or were, they probably didn't even know what to do because that was so, that's still so, so kind of, so foreign back then, you know, well, um, struggling yeah. like that. And then you and get all did. this, you know, well, they, that freedom tastes good. Oh yeah. And they did what they could, you know, trying to get, you know, yeah. protect me from it. And, but with bullying, it doesn't matter. Like the more you do to try to protect the worse it gets. And, you know, it just got out of control at certain points. And, you know, I was getting beat up at certain times or I got a wedgie once where my pants got ripped off. Shit. <laughs> Dude. Like I mean, you laugh now, right? But that's probably so terrifying. Yeah. At that age. So 
you know, it, it, having that release and having that void that had consumed me for so long filled with something, mm-hmm. um, all I wanted to do the next day, even though I was in trouble, even though I got caught, even though it wasn't some beautiful experience where, you know, like on TV where I had a magical party night and there was lights and like yeah. I puked and fell on a hill and like my friends had to clean me up and take me to my parents. It was not pretty. I, all I wanted to do the next day was as soon as I got to school, it was like, when are we doing that again? Yeah. Let's go. What are we doing now? Like, what's the next, how are we doing this again? Yeah. And it's, and, this is like, this goes out to a lot of people, you know, that are listening right now. This, this is the very, this is the point that a lot of people, it's so easy to fall in this because we don't know how to evolve our minds at that age. We don't have, we don't know how to reach out to resources. Um, we, when we are, we are feeling this way and it's so easy to do drugs. It's so easy to drink alcohol and, and especially right what Jason is talking about in that beginning phase where you're just like, cause it never feels like that again. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that beginning, you're just like, oh my God, it's like a sense of relief, yeah. you know, just like Ryan was talking about on my episode that was Aaron today, episode yeah. 32, you know, it was like when he drank, he, he got comfortable. He, it, it let him release these things because he can let go a little bit from his mind. But when you're not working on your mind, then that's what you, you go to. And so if you are feeling this way at this moment in your life, reach out to resources first, reach out to Jason, reach out to to Ryan, any, any of us, if you're feeling like you need a release of alcohol or drugs to get away from your mind, that's not the answer. Um, that's a really important part of the story is like the moment. Yeah. The, the, it was the, like, I just got goosebumps when you said that the moment, like that moment, my life changed and not only my life, my parents' life, my brother's life, because it turned into, you know, cause I drank from 14 and used drugs from 14 to 19. And in that five years, I caught more wreckage in everybody's life that came in contact with me, um, that I could ever imagine. And I don't know, like I since then got to like have conversations with my parents and make like formal amends to my parents for what I'd done. And I had no, like, I don't know how they managed to keep their relationship intact, let alone save my life through that process. Cause it was instantaneous. Like that you hear the analogy of Jekyll and Hyde Mm -hmm. and I, their sweet kid from Boise that was a good student and funny and loving turned into a monster overnight. And they didn't know, they had no tools on like how, they didn't know what to do with that. And so um, I instantly went to, you know, how do we do this again? How, and I kind of pushed the whole group in that direction. Like, let's, it was easy to get, I could walk into any store and steal it. I became a thief really quick. Um, because I, I was a clean cut, handsome looking kid. Right. And so it was easy for me to walk into a store and walk out with whatever I wanted and not get a lot of eyes looking my direction in the beginning. Right. It didn't, it didn't go that way for a while, but (laughs) uh, I was good at stealing. I stole a lot and I would go into the stores and take what we wanted and we would find ways to get loaded every day. And 
it quickly turned into drinking at school. Um, this was before I discovered drugs. Um, and I just thought I was part of the cool club finally, right? Like I was part of the group. Yeah. I was like, Man, this is what you're supposed to do. And that first freshman year of high school, I remember one of the semester exams, it was a PE one for like, I didn't know you had semester exam in PE, but we had a semester exam testing, like a written yeah. test on, I don't know the rules of volleyball. I have no idea. Um, but it was the first period of the class and I went into it. I got drunk before class mm -hmm. and went into the class. I got really drunk because I always, all of a sudden started sweating and getting hot. So I took my shirt off in the middle of class and the teacher's like, Jason, are you okay, Jason? And I told him to fuck off. And um, he's like, well, do you need to go to the nurse? And I just put my head down on my uh, test I was taking. And then I vomited Captain Crunchberries all over the classroom. Oh. And I just said, I was, I'm just sick. When the yeah. whole class knew I was drunk and yeah. Took me to the nurse's office. I got sent home and suspended. And, but that's like from having your first drink to within a few months, like that was my daily behavior was the only thing I cared about was how to get loaded again. Yeah. I didn't care about grades. I didn't care about my chores. I didn't care about um, any of that. Yeah. That and, addiction comes over you rapidly fast. Yeah. It, and one true gift I got through my addiction was how fast I found a bottom with it. Cause even when it was good, it was bad. Like it was never, I never had like this, you know, beautiful experience. I had some fun times, but it was always, it always went bad. It always went South whenever drugs yeah. or alcohol touch my body. And I think that's, you know, people have asked me how I got sober so young at 19 and it's because yeah. I had so much wreckage yeah. throughout my life and it instantly happened over and over like I said I always got caught always got caught mm -hmm. um we started you know hanging out with some of those older kids some of the mm -hmm. wannabe gangbangers I'm not going to say they were actually gangbangers there was a lot of uh, I was running around trying to be a tough guy yeah. um, I'm not a tough guy there's a lot of real tough guys out there <laughs> uh, I know a lot of real tough guys I'm sure you know a lot of real people yeah I was not one of those, but I sure <laughs> did think I was. And, you know, and to start hanging out with older kids and we we're run, rolling around town in like a 64 galaxy and oh, uh, nice. <laughs> just people were carrying guns and doing stupid stuff. And yeah. it just got really ugly, really fast. And I liked the criminal life. I liked the power of it. I liked coming from being bullied, I like to be the one that bullied other people all of a sudden. I like to have my friends be the one that like um, scared people. And it gave me this weird sense of power that I had never had my whole life. Right. Um, but that's when drugs got introduced pretty quickly too, you know, somewhere around the end of ninth grade. Uh, we as a our close knit friend group, we'd smoke some pot and yeah. smoke some cigarettes and nothing hard. But we decided, like, made the conscious decision that as a group, we're going to try methamphetamines. Holy shit. If we're going to do it, we should do it as a group because it's safer. And we're going to, yeah. like, it wasn't like at a party where we were all drunk and, like, somebody brought out some powder and yeah. we did it. 
we actually made an active decision to like do this together and went and got some methamphetamines from one of our friends and did a line. And again, it was like what happened on my first drink happened when I did a line. Right. Like instantaneously. Right. I was a crackhead. I could care less about alcohol because it did. I have always drank through this process. Yeah. But this is where like alcohol went away for me as far as the solution. Mm-hmm. It was just there for um, worst case scenario, I could drink um, if I didn't have anything else or along with everything else I did. At yeah. this point, once I discovered methamphetamines and all the other drugs that were out there, I turned into a person that just said, I wanted all of it in my body at the same time. I didn't have a drug of choice. I w- my drug of choice was everything. Wow. Um, and so... Again, my parents were trying to figure out how to manage this, and it got really dangerous really quick. Again, fights, guns, suspension. I got suspended for beating up the bus driver. Um, Just like we were arrested with people that had guns. Um, We were, people were jumping each other with base. Like it just got crazy, Vegas crazy. And they, I've made it through freshman year, the summer of freshman summer just continued to get worse um and made it into my sophomore year and about halfway through my sophomore year again I'd been arrested probably two or three times at this point no jail time just slap on the hands um but people had died through that product like people there was a shooting at one point like people in our friend groups it was starting to get to that point where it was like we weren't doing good things anymore. We were, people were hurting each other. And, and I was at the point and my parents were unable to control me. Like if they said, you're grounded, I said, go to hell. And I disappear for three weeks and they couldn't find me. Um, the teacher would try to do something. I tell the teacher to go to hell and I walk out of school. My grades were all F's. Like I, the only thing that existed in my life was getting loaded and partying with my friends. Now is Um, your brother older or younger than you? My brother's younger. He's four years younger. Um, and he had to witness all that. Like he had to witness, yeah, you know, me going through this monster shift and, um, you know, there was times where I'd have him light our bong with his lighter and we thought it was funny walking around the garage. And, um, but he had to see the worst of it. Cause it just got worse from there. Like right. he had to see me carted off in handcuffs. He had to see me getting violent. He had to see me punching holes in the walls and, you know, and the thing I, uh, as I talk about some of these experiences, I just learned this probably last year, somewhere in my 25th and 26th year sober. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody about this Jacqueline Hyde and, you know, how I have the side of me that can turn into this like monster where I am violent. I am a criminal. I am like, I have these things that are in me that I've done in the past. And for 25 years, like that reference was always to when I'm loaded, I'm a different person, right? Yes. All those things I did to my parents, to people, to humans, to um, the criminal activities, I was sober when I did them all. It was usually because somebody was getting in the way of me getting loaded. interesting I didn't that didn't hit me until again I was having this conversation I'm like wait a minute I'm full of shit 
Like I wasn't loaded when I assaulted my parents or when I stole that woman's purse or when I beat up the bus driver or every time I did the horrible things I did, mm -hmm. I was dead sober, but somebody was getting in the way of me not being sober. They yeah. were trying to stop me. They were trying to restrict me. They were trying to, and I didn't put that together until just last year. And it was such a like eye opener to my behavior, right. to who, like it, that power to get loaded, the power to fill that void was yeah. so uncontrollable that I was willing to do anything to get it. And it wasn't while I was high. It wasn't while I was drunk. Right. It was when I was sober that I was doing those things. Yeah. And that's like, that is like a very, also can turn into a, a perfect description of an addict, right? Yeah. You're like out of something, you know, and that's when people cause the most chaos because they will do whatever it takes. Yeah. They will hurt whatever people they run into. They yeah. don't give a shit about anything no. until they get their fix. And that's where it's so violent. Well, and it wasn't like I was running around like a junkie shaking right. or anything. But it's your, just, your mental thought. Like you had yeah. to have it and you didn't care. I remember one time, again, there's only like these few things that I remember. And, you know, I think it was like ninth or 10th. No, it had to have been in 10th or 11th grade timeline because we were back. My parents had moved me back from Las Vegas because that was going to fix everything. Um, we were back in Boise and my dad had found my bomb, I believe, and he threw it away. Oh, so your parents moved back to Boise because yep. of that was going yep. on. Okay. So about halfway through my sophomore year, um, you know, they were out of solutions. They didn't know what to do. It was kind of like Vegas. This is Vegas's fault. Vegas is a bad mm -hmm. environment. So they shipped me back to Boise to live with my uncle, my mom's brother, who he's, you know, lit a, lived a, a colorful life similar to mine. You know, he's gone through some pretty heavy experiences in him, his life. So she's like, maybe it'd be good to stay with him for a while and you can smack him around a little bit and help give him some experience right. while we sell our house, get job transfers and uproot our life to move back to Boise, Idaho. Okay. So they put um, you first. Yep. To take care of what they need. Yep. to. Be. Okay. But I remember that he found my bong. I was sober and I lost it. We're screaming at each other. And I actually punched my dad in the hallway. Mm. And like, I remember his face so clearly because it wasn't like, like I would expected him to hit me back. Like I just hit him in the face. Yeah. And I figured we would brawl and like do what we do. It was just instant pain. He just turned and walked away. And I stormed out, you know, with my cuss, cussing the whole way out and breaking all the pictures on the way and punching holes in the wall. And um, mm. he didn't react. He didn't say a word. He didn't um, throw me down the stairs like I deserved. He right. was broken. Like I completely broke him in that moment. And, yeah. and that's what I turned into as an alcoholic, an addict, sober, trying to figure out how to get loaded. Right. Um, when he came between me and what would fix me I just turned into this monster once I had it I was fun I was go you know I didn't like yeah. I was like the party or I was like thinking I'm the man being you know I turned into a drug dealer pretty quick when I got back to Boise drugs are still in Boise Idaho the way they're in Las Vegas it didn't solve they're, the problem they're everywhere <laughs> yeah it didn't I just got worse I got expelled from two schools uh, 
And then I just I spent the rest of my teenage years in institutions a few times with death and jail. Like I OD'd a few times. Um, I went to jail probably 30 times before I was 18. Wow. And my parents started putting me in rehabs. You know, I went to six rehabs before I was 18. I was kicked out, broke out of two of them, kicked out of one. Wow. And so they were doing everything they could to try to give me the tools I needed to like, um, they didn't even care like what happened, just help me live at this point. Right. Every day they, I disappeared for weeks on end. They didn't know if they were going to get that phone call that I was finally dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they were doing whatever they could to try to save my life. And they did because all those things, all those institutions, every time I was locked up in jail and I had, it was mandatory to go to 12 step programs or every time I was in a rehab and they're teaching me what addiction is, what I, like it's getting in my brain. Like I'm learning right. that I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. And um, I didn't, I still wasn't able to stop. Like I was, this is when I started to turn into like, these fantasies of like, I want to be a normal person. I don't want to be, I want to go to college. I want to get a high school diploma. I want yeah. a job, but it was so attainable for me, unattainable for me because I had no way to stop. Every time I would get out of jail, every time I would get out of rehab within a few days, I'd be right back doing the same thing. I'd, right. I'd go to 12 step meetings, port ordered and just be loaded at them. Yeah. Um, so I turned I, I want to make sure I don't keep us for two hours, but oh, that's what I, uh, you know, my youth was full of violent criminal activities and a lot of drug use nonstop and a lot of time in jail and a lot of time in rehab. And um, I turned 18 in jail. So I was an 18 year old in juvie. They almost gave me like a congratulations. Um, you're 18. I had been in there. I'd probably been locked up for a month or two. I don't remember at this point. Yeah. Um, and the 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 <coughs> guys working in the jail and my parole probation officer, everybody was like, "You're 18, kid. You're sober right now because you've been locked up. Mm -hmm. um, this is your get out. This is your fresh start. Right. You're an right. adult now. Right. And I this I fully was on board with this. Like I knew this is I wanted. To I wanted to come out with this fresh start. Like I wanted to come and get my GED because I obviously didn't complete high school. I made it through maybe sophomore year and then I was done. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get my GED. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to stop hurting everybody that I right. came across. I wanted to stop hurting. Right. And so when I got out of juvie, I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm not on probation because I'm an adult now. Uh, all my records are sealed because they were all juvenile. So it's like a fresh slate. I'm yeah. sober. I can do this. I've got it. Yeah. And two weeks later, I was arrested in Nevada with seven felonies for drugs. Damn. What and happened so when you got out? Like, did you have that feeling of like you wanted to change? And then what, what was that? Even, what happened? I don't even remember how I got loaded at this point. Like, yeah. I'm getting out. I'm sure I maybe made it a day or two and connected with my old friends. Cause again, that community was so important to me, that connection, that being a part of and feeling accepted. Yeah. And that was all I had was that kind of like core group of friends. And right. I think I, 
you know, went right back to it, but I'm going to, you know, and when you run people like water likes to seek, seek its own level. Yeah. And the people I was running around with, you know, they wanted me to be at their level. They didn't want me to be sober. Um, yep. They wanted me to be here with them. And so they all had like bets on who's going to get me loaded first and, you know, the game to them. We're all 18, 17, 20, you know, we're yeah. idiots. And again, they all were living this life different than mine. Right. I was always in jail or locked up somewhere. Right. They were somehow managing to have jobs still and go to school and graduate high school still. And like, so they, they didn't were, get it. Yeah. yeah. They were, they were doing the same shit as I was, but they were like managing their lives still. And not letting, like, they weren't turning into, like, that monster that I turned into, to the level that I turned into. Right. And so somewhere I put some sort of chemical in my body after I got out of juvie. And all I remember, you know, I had a two and a half week, three week bender. I got the brilliant idea to rip off every drug dealer I know and move to Phoenix, Arizona with some guy. And we made it halfway there with a lot of drugs that we'd stole from everybody. And luckily the cops saved my life because I mean they threw a bag over me and threw me in jail and I think if I would have continued on I don't think I'd be alive to this day so um they locked me up as soon as they saw us you know they knew there was drugs they brought the drugs dog out found the drugs I was charged with seven felonies I got it you know plead down but I ended up spending around a year and I only say that because by the time it was said and done like I was basically released from the Nevada State Penitentiary two weeks after my 19th birthday. So I got to spend my 18th birthday in jail and I spent my 19th birthday in prison. And two weeks later, they released me with 10 years probation or parole. Um, I had, I don't know, 10 or 15 years over my head. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you fulfill your parole, it was a withheld judgment. Your charges will be dropped. You'll have no felonies. You just got to stay out of trouble. Right. And so I was, I mean, after being locked up and put through programs and yeah. I, I was dialed in, I had had a bottom. I knew um, I can't continue living the life I was. Right. And so I actively got involved with 12 step programs and seeking to stay sober. And, um, you know, I built a community within those 12 step programs. I had great friends. I had a hot girlfriend because that's really important when you're 19 and trying to stay sober. <laughs> Um, and, and so I was, my life was getting better. I had a, my dad gave me a job at his, at his, uh, drilling company. I got, they helped me get a brand new Ford 1995 Ford Ranger, I think. And oh, nice. you know, life was coming, like life was getting good. I even, I had my GED from the Nevada state penitentiary. So I was going to register for college and I even started BSU Boise state Yeah. and nice. out of the blue. Yeah, it was things were getting better. I got a taste of what life could be like free. Right. Uh, But the compulsion hadn't been completely removed because there were certain tools I had not implemented in my life. And and I got a call out of the blue from one of my great friends. I'm still friends with him today. Uh, We've known each other since we were three years old. We did a lot of this stuff together. And then we also cleaned up together. Yeah. um, it was just like a random Tuesday night. I think I had been out of, you know, I had probably a year sober because when you include my jail time and being out, yeah. you know, it was pretty close to about it was probably 19 and a half because it was October 12th of 1996 is the exact day. Yeah. 
And he called me and he's like, hey, I'm going to a party tonight. Do you want to come? I've been sober for like a year, nine months. I'm like, yeah, I think, oh, that sounds fun. I'll come to a party. I got, my, I got some money in my wallet. Life's good. I'm feeling good. Yeah. So I met him at his house. He pulled out some Heinekens. He's like, you want a beer? Oh, shit. I'm like, you know, it's just beer. Everybody, every 20-year-old drinks, every 19-year-old drinks. Right. I haven't drank for a long time. I'm not doing excuses. Yeah. I'm not doing acid. I'm not doing mushrooms. I'm not doing meth. I'm not doing them all at the same time. Yeah. It's fine. I can have a beer tonight. Three hours later, I was back in handcuffs. Oh, three. Oh three my hours. gosh. Three hours after that first beer, I was arrested for DUI. He had he was in the passenger seat next to me, bloody, because he got the shit beat out of him. And he took a taxi home. I went to jail and that was the story of my life. Like every time yeah, people would go, go home, be fine. And I would go to jail. Mm -hmm. And so I got arrested that night with the DUI and DW driving without privileges. Um, and I was sitting in that jail and that's where my life changed. Cause I knew like to my core that there's never going to be a point in my life where I can drink like a normal person. Right. That question was always there. Like, I always knew I couldn't use methamphetamines like a normal person. Right. I always knew I was a crackhead and I couldn't use drugs right. once I discovered them. But there was always, especially at that young age, this fleeting voice in the back of my head that someday I'll be able to drink like a normal person. And right. in that moment, there was not a voice louder that said, this is the result you're going to get yeah. if you put alcohol into your body. Yeah. And I knew sitting in that jail cell, facing... 15 year parole violation yeah. that I was never going to be able to drink like a normal person. And I had a spiritual experience in there. Like it was so, and the only thing that I've done perfect since then is I've never put any sort of mind altering chemical in my body since that time. Um, screwed everything up along the way of this journey. Yeah. Done some things right, done same things wrong, but no matter what happened in my life, I didn't put a chemical in my body because um, I knew what the result would be if I put alcohol or anything in my body after that. And did you continue with like your 12-step program? Like, and do you still do that today? Yeah. Or So when I got out, the first thing I did was I, uh, I got bailed out. I called my parole officer. I said, I need to come talk to you. I went and told him what had happened. And he said, the only reason you're not being violated is because you came to me versus me finding out on my own. And okay. He's like, I'm going to give you this one get out of jail free card and I'm not going to violate your parole. Right. Don't screw up again. And so he could have sent me back to prison for 15 years and he had all right to, because I, you know, in that capacity, I should be locked up. There's no reason I should be on the streets when I'm in active addiction. Right. Even to this day, I tell my wife, you know, half joking, half not like, honey, if I ever decide to have a glass of wine with dinner, yeah, pack the bags, close our checking accounts, get the hell out of the house. Mm -hmm. I will burn it to the ground eventually. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, and I know that still to this day, like I know, um, I still have that in me if it were, if I were ever to go back to that, to drinking. And so when he gave me that hall pass, I mean, I dove into 12 step programs. Um, you know, I did what was suggested in those programs. I got a sponsor. I, you know, work through the 12 steps. Um, and through the 12 steps, 
you know, I was able to identify my powerless over powerlessness over my disease. I was able to identify um, the harms I had caused, and I was able to truly go up and clean up those harms. Not, and I had a conversation with a guy I work with today. Uh, there's a difference between apologizing to somebody, like going and saying I did this, but a lot of times when I go and try to like apologize for something at work. I have an expectation that they're going to reciprocate in some way. Yeah. Because we both did something. Yeah. But when I go and clean up my past, I go there, you know, humbled and there's no expectation of a result of any kind. It's me just saying, this is what I've done and yeah. it was wrong. Right. And this is how I harmed you. And is there anything I can do to make it better? Yeah. Um, and I won't ever do it again. And yeah. so through that, Every time I've gone and done that work, put pen to paper, um, explored my part in things and gone and made those amends, I always have a psychic change, a spiritual experience, whatever people want to call it, where something is removed in my life. It may not be what I thought it was, but whatever I'm dealing with, whatever's causing that pit in my stomach again, that is removed. And through doing that work, you know, I've had a built a relationship um, with some form of a higher power. I do have a spiritual experiences. Um, before we started, I was sitting here playing with my crystal. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I know it's the universe. And I know the universe, yeah. um, you know, plays a part in my life. And when I'm a part of that universe, I get to be of service and I get to be helpful and I get to be um, somebody that's carrying a message of some sort. Yes. When I'm not part of that universe, I'm self-seeking, I'm filling my void with, and I still have the ability to fill that void, like whether I'm spending money on stuff, right. uh, you know, eating too much food, like whatever it is, yeah, I can fill that void with all sorts of things that are a lot healthier for me than drugs and alcohol, but they're still not good for me. I can still right. do things in, a, in an addictive right. personality and Absolutely. addictive behaviors in and so through the 12 steps, I had, was able to find, you know, complete, like that desire to drink or use was removed from my life. Yeah. Um, one thing that's like a little different from my journey than a lot of people, you know, I, my first wife was a normie. Um, I've been married a couple of times, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's part of the, my second wife was a normie. Um, I've yeah. dated a lot of, and I call them normies, people that can drink like normal and they don't have their lives blow up in front of them. Right. You know, people that can have a half a glass of champagne or they can party their asses off yeah. and still manage their life. Like they, yeah. they can still get up and go to work tonight. I have so many friends outside of 12 step programs. I learned once that compulsion to drink or use was removed, that my life isn't about just being a sober person. Right. Like, I'm free. Like we talked about, like I'm free today um, to go anywhere and do anything. I surround myself with people that drink. I have alcohol in my house as we speak. Um, my wife drinks. I, I, I can go anywhere. I can go to bars and dance. I can go and do anything. Um, I posted a video of my wife on New Year's Eve taking a shot of like fireball. And somebody asked like, how can you be around that and not be triggered? How can you kiss her and not be triggered? And it's, it'd be the same as her having a glass, a, a Coke. It doesn't, right. if anything, I repel from it more than I'm attracted from it. it. And it's through doing that work. It's through digging deep, um, 
cleaning up that wreckage and really creating a connection with something else to fill that. Like I needed a sufficient substitute to fill that void in its community, its service, its a relationship with the higher power, all of those things fill that void. And so when one of them stops working for me, like there's a point in my recovery where somebody told me like, eventually nothing's going to work other than my, that relationship with the higher power. Like there may be times I'm disconnected from my community or there's times I'm, I'm not the most connected to my higher power right now. Right. Like 26 years sober, I don't feel like you know, there's been times where I've walked through a field and could like feel the dew on the grass and yeah. great. Yeah. I have this great connection with the universe. Yeah. That's not where I'm at today, but it's, yeah. okay. it's okay. I still have a connection with, with my higher power. It's just different. Yeah. And I have my community and I have service work and I have all those other things that help fill that void. Um, comfortable in your own skin. I feel like if you're comfortable within your own skin, nothing is going to affect you. You get to choose that it doesn't affect you. And you know, having a higher, higher power and being in that spirituality, I was there for a really, really long time. And it wasn't until I went to the lion's den and listened to all these people when they put their knee down to God, like God, God, because I had trouble even saying his name for yeah. a very, very long time. And I just like really let go. I was like, okay, you know, and religion is all, they all pray to a higher power. It's all the yeah. same. So whatever symbol that creates in your mind, that symbol is the same as spirituality. That's phenomenal. You know what I mean? And I totally have always said to people, just have a spiritual relationship with the earth, you know, because the energy is everywhere and it's in everything. And it has the power to heal you through like how everything is made on this earth. You know, it's beautiful. And I just... I feel like a lot of people hurt when they don't have something to give it up to when everything else doesn't work. And I think that's very beautiful that you fall back to that, you know? Well, and I think one thing I found my, my story was people that drink are going to try to get me drunk because right. that's what I had experienced when I was in active addiction. Right. What I learned was people that are out there living a normal life and living a good life and taking and like being good humans doesn't matter if they drink, they don't drink. They like, they just want the best for you, regardless of what your decision is. They don't, they could give a shit less if I drink or don't drink. If anything, they, you know, I was, I went on a trip to Mexico and it was, I mean, it was a nonstop party. There was probably 40 people there. It was two weeks. It was a wedding. It was a reunion from high school. It was like, yeah. and I wore my sober gangster hat the whole time. I partied as hard as all of them, but I partied sober. Yeah. I danced. I had fun. I laughed. And all the, the only type of uh, energy I got from inter- anybody was like admiration that I can be there doing that. Like, I think yeah. there's this weird belief when you get sober, like you drink, you're evil. Or you're not, for a period of time, that's important. For yeah. a period of time, that's definitely important. But yeah. eventually, um, you know, breaking out of that and seeing that there's a world outside of just being a sober person, there's a whole world of right. um, just beautiful people and you can live and do anything you want and you can 
have any career you want. You can, and some of the most successful, genuine, kind people I know are like, they're superhuman, sober people because they, you know, go through this work and they learn and they have the spiritual connection and then they want to give it back to people and they want to help people. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And then you get to feel this, this different feeling of acceptance. You've, you've wanted to be accepted since you were a child and you get to have this new agreement with yourself that I get to be accepted for me and who I am and what I created. And, and that is a very beautiful thing. And that agreement can stay with you forever because it's a positive thing. It's a positive way for, uh, of in your life, you know, and it, it makes a positive effect on everybody else to see like, damn, that guy can do anything, you know? And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to like party sober. You know what I mean? It's also <laughs> kind of humorous when you're, when you're sober and you're like looking at everybody and you're just like, you know, like it's almost funny because yeah. they, you know, they change and their, their like movements change and the way they talk. And it's I love it. I have a blast. I love it. I have so much fun. Like, and yeah. I, it's cool. Cause when I stop loving it, I, I can just get in my car and drive home. Yeah. Or I can help people get home to make sure they're safe. Or I can Absolutely. like, like, I don't, I don't put myself in environments where I'm going to get puked on on my f- shoes. Right. But like, you get to have the choice now. You get to choose like who you want to be around. And right. sometimes I want to be in a room full of people that are sober and I love it. Yeah. Sometimes I want to be out dancing with sober people and not sober people. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't, and, you know, like I said, in my household, there's, alcohol and there's you know i've had people in my life that have done gone and experienced some of the like shaman ayahuasca stuff and all that's everybody's own journey and um i just get to choose for myself today that this is what works Mm -hmm. and i've been given the gift of freedom from it yeah so now i get to live that life out loud and i think the more and that's kind of where sober gangster come from is just being able to talk about it and live out loud. And the more I can share that story, the more people know that there's a solution out there. And it, it, 12 steps might not be the solution. There's other paths to find recovery too. Right. But I don't believe it's yeah. just this. Yeah. And then the addiction is freedom. You know, the addiction yeah. is like, who, who else can I help? And like the addiction is loving yourself. Right. Like, and can you say to this day, like, now like do you love who you are today oh absolutely like there's things in my life that I always want to continue to grow and change and get better at um I still have like I'm still a sick human I'm human so I have sick things that I do but I love who I am like I I love love the life I get to lead I love that I get to help other people and see their lives change um it's funny one thing that really shifted for me I want to say eight years ago, maybe nine now, uh, one of those good friends of mine from Vegas, I started posting on my Facebook because this is kind of taboo in that 12-step world. Right. Like it's an anonymity. And like, you don't ever, I won't ever say a 12-step program like by name. I try to respect their traditions. Um, But I posted on my Instagram or Facebook that you know, I was at the time, maybe 15 years sober and said, you know, 15 years sober, if, you know, I just shared from the heart, like a bleep yeah. of my story. And if there's a way out 
And that one of my good friends from back in my Vegas days sent me a message at four in the morning. And he was like, I really needed this. I've been hurting. I'm struggling. I can't do this anymore. And his sobriety date now is the day after mine, but eight years ago. And he actually went to meetings and got sober. And, And in that moment, like I knew the more we can speak out about this and kind of break some of the, and this is probably the hardest part that I've struggled with, with getting sober gangster going is, you know, I've been programmed to some of my traditions that I want to follow and make sure like I'm supporting people and how to speak publicly about it without, um, and I just got to the point where it doesn't matter. Like, I just need to do what I can to care, to let people know that there's a way out and they don't have to die from alcohol or alcoholism or addiction. Like they don't have to die anymore. Yeah. Um, And even in sobriety, like there's a lot of people in sobriety that are still hurting. There's a world like outside of that. Like you can find, like if you don't know how to like interact with normal people or like, there's nothing to be afraid of. Once you find that freedom, you can go and do anything. And I think the more, um, like you have people on your pod, on your video cast doing these and the more we're getting the word out and the more we're showing that there's true solutions out there and true recovery that can be long-term. Right. Um, right. And it's important if you slip, you didn't lose everything that you worked on up until then. No, you did it's not. Just, you get to start the next day with all the knowledge you've just gained yes. and continue forward. It's not like you're you're not a bad person. Yeah. I mean, it's not just like being sober, you know, it's, it's doing the work and that's where people, you know, get stuck and they're still so tied up in their minds and they're like, well, I'm sober now. Shouldn't I be like a millionaire? And shouldn't I be like, happy? well, no, 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 that's not how it works. Like you have to do the work and that most important job for you is to love yourself so you can love other things and love other people and accomplish things. Um, and you will not be able to do that when you can't change your mindset and free your mind from all the other things that are tied with, so with just being sober, you get to make new agreements, but it's freaking work. It's hard. Well, and it's- no one wants to do hard stuff. Well, it's like what you're, you know, you, you join the den, you're doing yeah. work on you. Yeah. Like I, my solution for staying sober is still the same. Yeah. Um, I still am active in 12 step programs. I still work with people. I still have a community when this is over. I'll probably hit a 12 step meeting tonight at eight o'clock. Yeah. Um, I also do things outside of 12 step programs. I go to yoga. I go to a counselor when I need to, I go, um, I joined the lion's den when I want to grow other areas of my life, when I want to be more, grow my professional or my entrepreneurship or, um, yeah. networking with other people. Like there's, you have to do work. Yeah. You can only manifest so much, but without action, you're not going to get the results. Yeah. And you're already in the pl- right place. Cause that's what Sean talks all about is the manifestation into action. So what made you create Sober Gangster and how long have you had that company? Uh, I started Sober Gangster about two years ago. I was actually helping my wife with one of her companies. And while I was sitting there, like helping her out with her company, I've I've started like three or four different names, different, trying to figure out what fit and really what, you know, working through some of my own um, 
story around being out loud around it and you know a different sober ascend or sober this and none of them fit like felt like me um uh, it was me trying to force it right and I remember helping her and, and I just had this epiphany I'm like oh what about sober gangster you know I thought of like spiritual gangster and she has a company called gangster witch and yeah. I was like wow sober gang I like that and so yeah. I went and hopped on to look for a domain name and it there was an auction going for it. And I, I won the auction and I'm like, wow, I got, I actually got the domain. And, but there's something about sober because there is a gangster side of every addict alcoholic. Like we have a side of us that's dark. I have a, I have a dark side. Um, and I have a very light side. I have both sides of me. Um, and I've experienced a lot of dark in my life. And, you know, there are some real gangsters out there. I've met some real gangsters or some gangsters out there that, you know, are really hardcore, but this is more about like, there's not much more hardcore than I can think of than changing your life, like breaking yeah. out of that, breaking out of that um, thing that we're not supposed to statistically get out of. Like I'm supposed to be a st- st- statistic. Um, I'm not supposed to be sitting here, but being able to break free from that and live out loud about it. Like there's not anything more gangster than doing that. Cause it's hell Yeah. Like being gangsters skirting the norm, right? It's like getting, going against what you're supposed to do, whether you're being a thug and breaking the law and or being, you know, or going against all of it. And so, you know, it really resonated with me. It allowed me to like step in and start to dip my toe in it. I got to play with building some cool swag first. And, you know, now I'm just continuing to just kind of get the message out there of that, you know, it's here to support people and build a community. And um, I think there's a lot of people that, really want to find sobriety yes. uh, but they maybe never make it to a 12-step room right like or they make it and they can't they don't connect with it and it doesn't even mean that they're addicts or alcoholics you right. can just be using alcohol like you said earlier like are right. you using it to change how you're feeling right um there's a whole movement around just living healthy and living free and right. um, not being tied to something because it makes you feel better right um, there's a lot of people I know that abuse alcohol, but they aren't necessarily an alcoholic. Right. They can oh, stop yeah. and they can change their life. And so, you know, this is a, a spot where it doesn't matter what your um, mechanism is to get to be sober. It's just a place to support you in sobriety and help promote sobriety and then help you grow in your own sobriety. So yeah, like sober gangster can be like someone else's first step to get into a next step and another step and another step. Like it could be a more of a safe space for somebody. Some sober gangster can be something comfortable for somebody, you know, like I would resonate to that, like super easy. You know, I'm, I grew up in California listening nineties hip hop, hip hop, you know, of course it's 90s hip hop. <laughs> and so did Vic, you know, Vic is one of the lead is on the leadership team in uh, the lion's den and he's 805 too. And I saw him on, uh, on Saturday and uh i was like 805 west side for life and then we were immediately like gangsters like <laughs> like we're so stupid right but it's like the cool it's but it's still oh, yeah. like this connection and just like nostalgia you know, yeah nostalgia and you know i gifted, gifted like tupac and like biggie and just so he was like oh yeah you know um and well, then and he- i try to put like on the site like i have a page it's all about free 
ah. like here's some, here's some links to find support, whether it's 12-step right. programs, whether it's, you know, the Phoenix, which I'm a huge advocate for. It's a national nonprofit program for people in recovery. Yeah, that, that thing, that nonprofit is really, really cool. Yeah. The Phoenix is awesome. It's a community. Again, all of this is about community. Like right. we need each other. We need to find, feel a part of, we need to feel right. love and connected. And right. the Phoenix offers a community for, you know, people in sobriety that also want to live a healthy lifestyle. It's free right. fitness. It's free yoga. It's free rock yeah. climbing. I go to their I've events. To that, uh, you know, website and I have sent it to someone I really want and truly to be sober. Um, and I was like, damn, this is like such an amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah. community. So what we're trying to say to, I think, you know, more importantly to you guys listening out there, like find your sober community, find what works, work, works for you. Find that community that feels safe for you. If you feel like being a sober gangster and being on the West side, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to throw that in there. Um, you know, like reach out to Jason. If you want to yeah. join the Phoenix where they involve everything else, like I have like, and maybe look into communities and try it for a week, try another one for a week and try another one for a week until something works for you and you feel safe and you feel comfortable to, to tell your truth because telling your truth is the first step and it's freeing. So well, and I think no matter what, like a takeaway no alcoholic or addict needs to die. And if you're struggling, just reach out to anybody. Reach out to me. I, I get Brittany a Calumly link that you can schedule anytime to just talk. Uh, ah. um, anybody that like, whether it's me or anybody else, like people are here to help support you. And people don't just die from addiction because they overdosed or because they their liver failed. Right. Suicide is off the charts. Our families experienced suicide due to addiction. Um, there's been three suicides within this week of people I know through addiction. And so like pick up the phone, pick up the email, yeah. direct message somebody. There's sober groups all over Instagram. Now, yeah. if you're hurting, like we're here to help. We're here to provide solutions and support. Um, you know, there's, it's always there and we're always willing to just support you and make sure we're getting you pointed in the right direction at minimum. Absolutely. And you're so right. There's a lot of suicides right now. Um, and that's why I've kind of been on a role of like having these interviews of like things that you put in your body that really are toxic to you. Um, and then, you know, on the top of that, I've, I've kind of spoke a lot in a lot of my past episodes of just like brotherhood, you know what I mean? And like men especially don't have that. So, I mean, you guys, as men out there, create your own brotherhood, create it through talking to Jason. Like he said, um, I'm going to put the candle is that how you say that word? Calendly, Calendly, Calendly? yeah. Um, link in this bio, and he has set up um, appointments that you can talk to him for free and have a brotherhood. You have yeah. Jason right there, and you have his connections and these connections. And I really feel like men are seeing this. Um, and we're talking about it and I really feel that it's so important to have a, a connection because men, if you're listening to this, like you can't tell us women, everything that you, you, you need your men to talk about these things yes. and, and do things with and experience life with through positive, um, actions. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, women need that too, but we're, I mean, women are, can say whatever they're on their mind, very easy. Where women men need their sisterhood and men need their brotherhood. It's, it's totally. how we were, that's ancestrally how we were created. Exactly. And, exactly. And, um, and if you guys also follow uh, his name, his name is Bryce Prescott and the beginning of this year, he talks about, you know, brotherhood and his experience with, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now. But he has the married game. Yeah. Um, Keith Yaki. Did I say that wrong? Oh my gosh, if I said that wrong. Hold on, let me look his name up because I feel like a dumbass. I shouldn't, well, that. I shouldn't say that about myself. But at <laughs> the same time, I just want to make sure. Okay, I was right. Keith Yaki has a married game. And um, he's been getting men together. Uh, Ryan was there just this past weekend. Bryce was there this past weekend. He's getting these groups of men together and creating like this brotherhood where they do breath work. They talk about things. They go and like play sports and meditate and all these things together. And I think the sense of community togetherness, brotherhood is what, you know, Sober Gangster is also what it's about. And, um, and this is for women too, you know, um, but I think it's just so important now more than ever to like tell our story and get it out there. And that's why I wanted you to tell your story on my channel, because I don't want anyone to feel alone. Like there's so many people feeling the same way, but believe it or not, you have the choice to change. You get to choose to be a, becoming a free man or a free woman and living the life that you want. It doesn't matter like what your past is, or if you grow up broke and abused and all this stuff, like those are, that's your past life. Today is now, and today is your future. And today you get to choose what kind of life you want and who you, who you have to become to get that. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. And I love what you're doing, Jason. I really, really do. Um, and so we end it with the brotherhood, you guys, the, the community, the, the safe places, like we all want you to feel safe. Um, and if there's anything else that you want to add, Jason, is there anything else you want to add as we end? This no, I, I just was going to say on brotherhood, you know, I, I think I've had this like preconceived notion of like this brotherhood, it's going to be a bunch of guys beating on each other's chest and we're going to have to like go to the yeah. workout all it like this weird toxic masculinity sort of vision of when brotherhood gets brought up. Yeah. And I, there are so many just great groups of men trying to get together and support each other, whether it's in business, like I found with the den, it's not just about business. It's about passion and purpose. And yes. like there are brotherhood doesn't have to be this like thing that you're seeing on social media a lot right now. Cause a lot of what you're seeing on social media is, you know, helping bring in dollars. Um, but there is like, you can, brotherhood is just really supporting each other, whether it's helping them talk through their relationship with their wife or their kids or business or, you know, or sobriety. Like right. we're here just to support each other. And kind of like what Brittany said, like men need men to talk to about certain things and yeah. women need women to talk to about certain things and have that um, place where you can land. And so it was something I struggled with and I've, you know, there was a few different places I looked and it just didn't vibe until like, I found this one that vibed with me. Yeah. And so just continue to look and search for what vibes with what you're looking for. And, um, and reach, yeah, I just kind of what you said to reach out anytime. I, 
I'm in a place where I can make myself available pretty frequently. So yeah, that's awesome. You guys like utilize that stuff. I think I say this after almost every episode. I was like, here you go. Here's another person to talk to. If anyone relates to you on my channel, <clears throat> it's really dry out here. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I got my iced tea, my Arnold Palmer light. I am still addicted to these. I probably go through like eight of these a day. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. Um, but it, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm sure it's like negative 23 now, but even when you walk outside, you're like, <laughs> you know, every time I walked outside today, I was like, oh my God, my throat's ice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so now I'm like dry, like a lizard, but you know, it's all good. <laughs> um, but Jason, I really appreciate your story and giving advice of community and where people can look like I appreciate you so much and I'm so happy that we get to share a story I'm actually um going to post this probably next Monday I want this I want this episode to come after Ryan's and so this is not episode 34 it is now episode 33 I just made that decision right now exciting um, just because I want to keep this, this momentum going and yeah. I think it's so important. I think it's so important in today's, um, society right now. Um, I'm very, very passionate in this, in this, just because I, I have someone in my family that has an addiction that it's been 15 years now. And I just like, you know, I, and every time I have these episodes, I send it to them, you know, yeah. I don't know if he watches things and never texts me back, but I don't care. I'm could so be Ryan that connects with him. It could you know? be me. Could so, hear that thing you need. So absolutely. keep doing it. Absolutely. So thank you so much. I'm going to put all of his, in, his information, his information in the link below. I'm going to put his link to sober gangster. I'm going to put his calendar link where you can spend 15 minutes to talk to him for free and just get advice. You can also reach out to him on Instagram. You can reach yep. out to me on Instagram um, and if anybody likes this video and you feel like you have a friend or a family member that needs to hear it, send it to them. Don't be afraid. Like being afraid not to help somebody is going to make you feel guilty for the rest of your life. It doesn't take anything out of you to help somebody, you know? And, um, I think that's a, that's, it's, it's a power. It's a gift. It's a super tool that you can use, um, as a superpower, you know? So, um, again, Jason, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate you. Um, it's fun. I, yeah. I hope, um, that you get to just keep making connections in the lion's den. I feel like, uh, this is just the right place for you. Um, and whoever else, if you feel like that community would be something that you would want to look into, reach out and ask us about the lion's den because that's changed my life and it hasn't even been a year. Yep. He just started and I met him. So look at that, you know, I've been it in a week and look at where I'm at. Exactly. I'm here with you. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. So, um, thanks again. Have an yeah, amazing week and, uh, we will post this on Monday. I don't know what day it's going to be, but I think it's the first Monday of February. And, um, I hope you guys all have a great day and we inspire you. We love you and we want you to be free. So thank you so much. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, sorry guys. <laughs>